Welcome back to Create Space, a podcast that finds joy in the art of storytelling. Today, we have the amazing privilege and opportunity to discuss a new book with the author himself. Matt Calhoun is a Wichita-based author who published his debut novel, The Knowledge of Sin, just this past year, so in 2022. The Knowledge of Sin is a dystopian science fiction novel that touches on a topic that we are all too familiar with in our own world today, which is that of AI and machine learning. So the Knowledge of Sin asks the question, how far is too far? And what happens when really powerful technology falls into the wrong hands? Now, I have read The Knowledge of Sin, and all I can tell you guys is go read it. It is such a good book. I read it in one single day because as soon as I started, I could not bring myself to stop. It's a really engaging story. The dialogue is smart. The character development is really phenomenal. And honestly, my mind was positively spinning by the end of it. So let's meet Matt Calhoun, learn a little bit more about the knowledge of sin, and then talk about what might be coming up next for this up and coming author. All right. Welcome to the show, Matt. I really appreciate you you being here. So for those of you that don't know, I have known Matt now for a lot of years now, uh, since college. So we'll we'll not tell everybody exactly how long that's been for us, but a while. Matt, we're here to talk about your book. This is your first book, The Knowledge of Sin. And from what I understand, not your last, right? Yep. So tell us about, just start, before we even get into this book, tell us about your trajectory as an author. When did you decide you wanted to be an author? What do you hope that looks like in the future? What's that all about? Sure. Yeah, so um, I, as long as I can remember, really kind of back to being a kid, I wanted to write. And uh, I think I remember, you know, my parents helping me, my mom kind of telling her, hey, hey I want to make these stories about dinosaurs. And she helped me, uh, you know, I would say the word, she'd write it down, and I'd draw the pictures. And that really kind of evolved you know, over time, I wrote a, a lot in um, kind of high school. Um, I actually, I was really into kind of video and things like that. So I, right. I, I did a lot of theater in, in high school. So um, I wrote kind of screenplays and some things like that and um, got out of, got you know, college and kind of, I kind of dabbled with, you know, longer form stuff. And I thought, well, you know, why not just try something long form? And I'd had some ideas and uh, started writing The Knowledge of Sin um, really, you know, right around the time I got out of uh, undergrad. And, uh, you know, iPhone had just come out. There's a a whole lot of, you know, really long time ago. And so, and then, you know, got into the the writing process of that and, you know, stopped for a really long time. And, and, you know, kind of COVID gave me the push to, uh, to finish the book. And, uh, and, and you know, after that, I've just just kept going. I'm I'm uh, writing frequently, and I've got several more things that I've that I'm working on. So I know you have one book that you're in the process of writing, and if I remember right, you said that's going to be a series. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, working right now on a, a kind of young adult fantasy that that'll be a series uh, set. I don't know if, you know, COVID gave me this idea, but I, I like, I've always kind of been fascinated in kind of the kind of medieval, you know, plague type stuff. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, why not set 
you know, a fantasy book and, and kind of a different world, but that kind of time uh, with, you know, magic and things like that. So I, I tend to write, you know, and I like kind of cataclysmic type stuff. So um, just it just kind of fit with, with what I like to talk about. Yes, I would say you do like cataclysmic <laughs> types of things. So we're we're going to do our best to talk about the knowledge of sin and not provide spoilers yes. because I do want people to, to read it. Uh, although I will say that if there's interest, a follow-up interview later after we can at least give a disclaimer and say, if you haven't read it, don't listen to this episode. Yeah. <laughs> because I really would like to dig into some of the characters and stuff. But um, let's talk specifically about the knowledge of sin. And well, first, give us a brief overview of what the book's about. Sure. And then maybe tell us where that came from in your brain. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, first off, you know, the whole uh, it, it is dystopian. So, you know, right. we're not saying too much that, you know, things don't go great. Right. Um, <laughs> it's not a happy, yeah, you know, no, unicorns no, and glitter yeah, story. Yeah. Uh, I think I think in the uh, blurb on the back, it's, it, you know, asks, you know, will will this be the savior of mankind or uh, it, it doesn't go that way. Just you know, spoiler. Yeah. Um, here, let's read. Let's read the thing on the back. I've got the book right here, just for fun. This will. This is the synopsis on the back. So, Liam Carter, an engineer working for an industrial and tech conglomerate, invents a fully automated factory capable of ending the age of human labor. Will his invention be the savior of mankind or the tool of its destruction? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and uh, so the um, it, it is. It is really about. So they create the system. Uh, what happens after that? It doesn't really stop at you know factory labor. It kind of spills over, and then it explores that world of you know they create this technology, they work for this big company, and what happens with that technology in someone else's hands, and you know how does that go, and and what unfolds after that, and uh, you know the title of the book comes from the quote that's at the front, which is uh, it's an Oppenheimer quote about uh, the people who created the atomic bomb, the scientists, about how they've basically, they've known sin through their creation of the atomic bomb and kind of the theme of uh, technology progress, kind of creating something that gets out of control and beyond the, what the inventor you know, originally contemplated. Okay, so that's where that idea came from. Yes. So I'm going to read this quote, too, because I think it's good. And since I have the book here, why not? So this is <laughs> J. Robert, Opp you said Oppenheimer? Mm -hmm. That's how you say it? Yep. Okay, father of the atomic bomb. So he said, in some sort of crude sense, which no vulgarity, no humor, no overstatement can quite extinguish, the physicists have known sin, and this is a knowledge which they cannot lose. Yeah, that's the basis of the whole thing. Yes. Which I read when I started the book, but like, you know, you read it before you've read the rest right, of it, right. and I didn't go back to look at it. So that's interesting, I think, is that you you paint the picture, and I think we all sort of know this, that the people smart enough to make this stuff are not going to be the ones controlling it. Right. Right? That you end up with two different people. You have the inventors and the creators, and you have, I don't know what you call the other people, the CEOs, I guess, but, you know, the right. the leaders, the people right. who are, the, the people in power. Did any of that come from things that you've experienced in the real world around you? Um, I would say, you know, probably more so is, you know, what if this groundbreaking technology is developed and what if it's in the wrong hands? I haven't personally kind of been at some of those frontiers, but but we've all kind of seen that. And then, you know, what happens if the stewards of that aren't, they don't have good intentions mm -hmm. necessarily. And even if they maybe did originally, do their intentions change 
once they have this in front of them, what's there to kind of restrict them from having bad intentions? Right. I suppose we see that historically. We've seen that in many different reigns of power. I mean, not mm-hmm. necessarily with robots, but right. you know what I mean, in different capacities. And when I was reading this, so for the people listening, I was like literally real-time texting yeah. you as I was reading it, which I have never had the privilege of real-time texting an author as I read their book, and it was so much fun. It, yeah, it was fun for me too. <laughs> but But what was interesting is that you made a comment about I had said something to the effect of, oh, it's not so much that the AI or the um, the robots are what is scary. It's the people in control of the robots. Yep. And you commented on the fact that it's also the speed at which the equipment or the machinery um, or the technology is the word I'm looking for develops. So, right. yes, in your book, there is definitely some malicious intent, obviously. But at the same time, sometimes, like you said, it's almost that it just snowballs to the point that people aren't prepared for it. Right. And I wonder... What is so weird to me, and maybe you just saw, maybe you just have foresight that the rest of us don't have, but you started writing this back, you said, what, 08, 09, mm-hmm. okay? And then you kind of finished writing it in COVID. And remind me how, when was this published? Uh, 22. Yeah, 22, September. okay. Yeah. I knew it was in like within the last year, but I knew yep. it was, it didn't just come out. So you published this before like the really big AI boom. Yep. But is it fair to say you saw it coming? No, I mean, I had certainly the forum that it's in, I had no idea. Now, when I was writing, I've always kind of followed the field because it's been interesting to me. But I had uh, been going to some conferences. I've done finance work a lot in, uh, in my career. They were talking a lot about predictive analytics and, you know, AI being used to kind of catch fraud and uh, signal fraud. And so, some of that informed kind of how I was thinking about this. Um, I actually wrote a short story that was that was very much on that wavelength based on that. Um, but I, you know, I, all the chat GPT stuff and, and everything, I totally, you know, didn't see that form. But I did see, you know, a, AI was getting better. And it wasn't a great leap to say, well, you know, at some point it could get so good that it could, it could you know, we could be in this position where, you know, you create something that, that could eliminate labor. And there right. are plenty of, you know, Star Trek, I think, they live in a world where, you know, it's like a utopian, you know, nobody has to work and they right. can kind of pursue their interests. And so, you know, that's been explored. But this is like, you know, okay, well, we have this, but what if it doesn't go well and the people who control it don't want to let go of the control and, you know, what happens then? Right. You mentioned like Star Trek and Star Wars, because as you mentioned, it's not a new concept. Um, but, but the movie, maybe it's just because I have little kids, but um, the movie that I keep going to is Wally. Oh. <laughs> and, and how they're all just like sitting in their chairs, zooming around, like yeah. they don't have to do anything. So, I love Wally because right? there is kind of the dystopian theme there in a kid's movie. Right? It's, yeah, it's a great it's a great movie. It tackles a lot of big issues yeah. in a cute little yes. Wally box, yeah. which is which is interesting. Yeah. No, I actually thought about Wally a couple of times while reading your book. <laughs> High like, praise. Oh. Like, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So um, let's go back to how long it took you to write. So you mentioned that you started writing it uh, when we were just barely out of college or almost out of college and then kind of took a long break yep. and then went back to it during COVID. So I'm curious, two things. One, how much of it was written before and how much of it was written after? And then two, do you write, like, is it written in chronological order? So, like, if, you know, did you write oh, the sure. first half in 2008 and the second half in 2020? 
Or is it kind of all mixed up? Yeah, so as far as like the chronological, this was a learning process for me. So I kind of started out and I'm just like, I started out with the idea, kind of started going and, you know, just blank page, start writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I learned pretty quickly that, that I don't do well with that um, which lots of lots of authors do great stuff. Like I think Stephen King, I think they call it like pantsing, where oh. you basically just like blank page, like crank something out. You know, you you are being told the story to yourself as you're writing. Wow. Um, I struggle with that, so I am in the outlining camp, like a plotter, I think is what it's called. But I so, didn't know there were names for yes, all these. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so I I do best when I outline. To be honest, a lot of my pause was just, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this. You know, sure. like I got, I got in. I'm like, well, why, why tell this story? You know, what do I really have to say that's important here? And, um, you know, you kind of your your perspective changes over time, and it's mm-hmm. like, hey, well, why not? You know, I think I heard somebody say on a podcast, just you know, we're not really telling brand new stories. We're kind of telling a story in our own way. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but the way you tell it and the, your characters and kind of your perspective and your voice is what makes it worthwhile. And so that resonated with me. And then just the whole self-publishing movement and, you know, all that was was kind of pushed me to like, well, why not? You know, like I can do whatever I want. Yeah. You know, I want a good product, but I can, I can, it, whatever I think of and you know it's it's really what sky's the limit so yeah it allowed you to push past that like imposter syndrome kind yes. of feeling yeah yeah totally uh which is which is a real totally a real deal right yeah i'm i'm just so intrigued because i think of how different i am as a person from 2008 to now yes. so and i know you and i are like our lives uh, in terms of like stage of life are pretty parallel um right. so like in 2008 2009 you weren't married yet Obviously, you know, no kids yet at that point. And then when you picked it back up at COVID, you were, you know, in lockdown with a wife and two kids and working a full-time finance job. As I was reading the book, I would not have guessed that it was written kind of at different times. Do you feel like your writing style changed over that time? And if it did, did you have to kind of sort of rewrite parts to make it all fit together? Well, it's it's funny you say that because there's a lot of there's a school of thought that you shouldn't do that. Yeah. And obviously, I, you know, it's not like I set out to let's, <laughs> let's pause for, you know, eight years. Right. Um, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of kind of like, I'm on a plane, so I'll, you know, type a little bit here kind of in, in the beginning. The, the back part was really pretty much in succession. I think I got lucky a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, but I didn't, you know, it didn't really feel disjointed or that, that something had changed like materially. I, I think I did, you know, those characters are kind of just, they've been in the back of my mind and yeah. that story had been at the back of my mind. And so, you know, there were some things that I maybe had to go back and like rethink, did, you know, should I need, did I need to introduce this or some plot changes? Cause even when I outline, I don't stick to the exact, you know, this chapter is going to do this and this one's, it evolves. So it's like, I know where I'm going, but it evolves as, as I write the chapters, because even when I sit down and write a chapter, it may say this is kind of generally what's going to happen, but that evolves yeah. as I write. And and a lot of times the chapter becomes a, something different, and then that kind of snowballs into the rest of the book. It feels like it would be hard. I've never written anything long form, and I feel like the hardest part would be building realistic like foreshadowing and things like that, which, like you were saying, the outline method seems like that would make that easier because you know where something's going before it gets there. Right. 
yeah, I feel like that would take, did that take a lot of kind of, did you have places where you thought, oh, that's a plot hole, I have to fill that in, or does it come pretty naturally? Um, there were some things where I had to go back and something was happening later and I had to kind of figure out how to weave that in. Be, the outline did help because there was a lot of that that I that I'd kind of figured out. Mm-hmm. But there were still, you know, that's still broad strokes and there's stuff you have to come back around and, oh, I've got to make this point so that it makes sense later. But I'm sure there's there's probably something in there someone's going to point out that's like, hey, what what if this would have happened, you know? But yeah, but uh, yeah, <laughs> which is kind of cool because I've even noticed, even as I've been sitting here talking to you about it, more so kind of before we turned on the microphones. But um, but you know, we were talking about the characters or something, and and I was talking about what I thought one character would do after the story was over, and I realized that I'm sitting here talking to the author, and I literally said something like, you know, but you never know, he might though, like <laughs> yeah. as if you didn't come up with him. So I do feel, which shows I think the sign that you wrote really good characters Thanks. because in my brain. They are these people that I totally can predict their next move. And then I had a moment of, Jessica, he wrote this person. Yeah. But, <laughs> well, it's, you, you're, that's true, but <laughs> they are their own people. I mean, and I've talked to a few other writers that it's – they – I don't know. It's, it's going to sound weird, but they have their own personality, their own thoughts. They're kind of, you know, they're not me, but, you know, I created them. But they kind of – when you kind of get into their – you develop them and their motives, and it's like, okay, well, how would Natalie respond to this? Right. And it's not like so much how I would respond, it's how much Natalie's personality would respond. You know, Liam, how much, you know, he may have some things that, that are like me, but by and large, he's his own person, and, you know, you, they do kind of take on a life of their own. That's, And I think that helped me kind of pick back up is that they have their, you know, you kind of know what's driving them and their right. motivations and things like that. They have their own internal monologue just the same as right. a regular person does. Yes. So that, okay, that brings me to a, an important point that I've been dying to just ask, which is let's talk about these characters because I think they're fantastic. So we will have to be careful not to, you know, give spoilers. But sure. can you tell us just a little bit about kind of the main key players in the book sure. um, and sort of how they developed in your brain? Yeah, so probably uh, Liam first because he's, Arguably the 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 most central character, although you know, he's Nat- the guy. <laughs> yeah, but but Natalie is 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 up there too. So, yeah. but Liam is the creator of the technology. He's kind of a awkward with social interaction, very intelligent, questionable work ethic at times. But if he's interested in something, you know, he's gets very involved and 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 motivated. His unique approach to his career and interacting with others has kind of limited him over time. Right, but. The fact that he's so brilliant and, you know, comes up with the stuff is kind of, they've like, oh, well, we'll keep him on the team. because He can pull it off. Yeah. He's hard, you know, he can be kind of hard to like, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least, you know, felt that way writing him. Natalie, who's kind of the other key figure in creating the technology. And then as it evolves um, and they kind of transfer it into, you know, other applications and, you know, we, we talked about robots, so, you know, n- not really that big of a spoiler, but right. you know, eventually, <laughs> eventually the technology kind of transfers into its natural form, which is just, hey, why why have a, a factory that's kind of stagnant? Why not have, you know, robots that can do all these other things that the factory, you know, it just, it's not as efficient. So she's pretty central in creating the initial technology and then uh, the robots later. You know, values are important to her. Uh, she's also very intelligent, but she's focused on, you know, is what I'm doing going to help? Right. She's the virtue. Hurt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, they're 
they work together a lot. They kind of have a, you know, witty banter every now and then. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been working together for a while. So those, they're very important to the book. And then, you know, of course, the leadership team of the company, Raymond Miser, who's the, who's the CEO, who's very gifted speaker. He's a well-respected, you know, CEO in the, in the corporate world, but uh, potentially has some questionable motives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Super charismatic, but yeah. kind of evil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and you know, kind of you know, some of his lieutenants, uh, Bill Wallace, I think, is, is one you and I talked about. Mm-hmm. That's he's he's a character I like, but he's just uh, he's very cunning. And uh, so th- th- those are those are probably the big ones, at least you know, kind of in the first part of the book where things are, you know, the, the narrative around the technology and the company is kind of evolving. Yeah. You know, and what I what I love about the characters is that, and I mentioned this to you, is that I, I love a good, well-rounded character that's not all bad and not all good. And I think arguably, at least in my brain, you've kind of got two characters that are sort of polar uh, yeah. as kind of almost all bad and almost all good. But Bill Wallace, I would put in this category. Liam, for sure, I'd put in this category of like, you know, you mentioned Liam's not super likable, which I would agree with, but he's also not easy to hate. Like yeah. he's, you know, he's he's very real. Natalie is the virtue, but he has the virtue in him from the very beginning. It's the reason that he drinks, right, is yeah. that he knows that there's a possibility that his brilliant mind could be used for evil. Right. It's just that he doesn't necessarily act on, you know, but it's in there, which I think is cool. And then like with Bill Wallace, I went back and forth on, is he like cunning and borderline evil or is he just kind of a cog and acting in, you know, on behalf of Miser? And, and I still don't know if I have, if I can decide, I mean, he definitely stands alone on his own in a few places, but they're very, they're very deep. And I like struggling over a character. I like going I don't know how I feel about this person because Liam's the lead, but I don't know that I'd call him the protagonist necessarily, right. you know? Right. Is there a word? What's I think there's there's probably a um, like an author word here for a pro- protagonist that's also kind of was like antihero. Is that? Yeah. Is that kind of what I'm thinking of here? Yeah. But I, but I'm, I think you're what you're hitting on, you know, is that's what we try and do is it's most of all they're kind of a realistic person and, yeah. you know. A lot of people would say that, uh, you know, people that, that talk about writing, that you don't really want the kind of, you know, vanilla, this this person is always all good and, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it helps you kind of identify and, you know, even when someone's unlikable, I, I think I've heard, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, you know, if you have a villain that, you, that people can kind of identify with yes. how they made that decision, and B- Bill Wallace is kind of in that camp because it's like, you know, you could see, well, if, if I was in his spot, would I, or even Liam, you know, would I have, would I have made some of these decisions or just not made a decision and kind of things evolved along those, you know, those, that path? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it's funny. I'm, I'm just thinking the um, episode of this podcast that uh, featured two guys who have their own podcast called The Artist Blend. Um, and it was, I think it's episode 17. We were talking about villains specifically on that episode because they're both music theater majors. Uh-huh. And so they have, you know, I t- was asking them how they develop a role. And we were talking about villains and how in order for a villain to be believable, they have to be justified. Like in their sure. brain, you know, the villains don't think they're the villains typically. Right. Like there's a reason they're doing it. Um, and I feel like I felt that in every like even even Miser, like even him, he knew I feel like he knew he wasn't doing good for everybody and that didn't bother him. 
But he thought he was doing some good for society, right? right? The right. overall goal he still justified in his brain, right. even at its worst, yeah. um, which is which is really cool. So that brings me – first of all, I feel like I'm going to spend way too much time on this podcast talking about my opinions of your book and <laughs> no, my that's, philosophy on you, it. You're getting it so well. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you're, you're articulating it better than I can probably. Oh, hey. Well, OK. I don't know if that's true. But so one thing that I remember I mentioned to you is – like, I read this book. I'll be honest with you. I read it because you wrote it. Normally, I would not consider myself a sci-fi person. Yeah. And I wouldn't think like – like, I probably wouldn't have picked this up off the shelf and said, oh, I'll probably read this. But then when I got into it, I went, oh, this is so not what I expected. Because when I hear sci-fi, I think more like fantasy, sure. zombies, aliens, you know, whatever. And while, yes, the stuff in here has not happened and – Hopefully it won't happen right. the way that it happens in this book. There's so much realism to it. It never – like even in part two when things really start heating up, it there's always a sense of very eerie realism to it. I'm curious how you were able to write that sense of realism into a technically fictional book. Yeah, so I mean I've always really uh, – don't get me wrong. I like I liked the kind of out there – you know, aliens, and I'm, right. I'm a huge Star Wars fan, uh, and I like you know the superhero stuff, uh, and so I, I like all that stuff too. But I've but I also have always really appreciated the the sci-fi, and there there is quite a bit out there that that is kind of in that zone of well, this is this is believable, or this isn't that far off. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, there are some things that like Philip K. Dick, who's one of one of my favorite, um, has kind of written things that aren't so much of a leap and. In kind of that evolution, and so I that was just something I, I was important to me is it's not too futuristic of a world where you know it's hard like there's you know flying cars and you know, right. although I suppose that's not that far away either maybe but <laughs> they probably could have yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but just you know they're not you know living in space and you know laser swords and things like that but that you could kind of live in that world or, or say like, oh, yeah, you know, that's not hard for me to believe that this technology could exist. And, you know, certainly when I started writing it and thought of the technology, it was, it was far away. And in fact, when I was talking to people about it really early on, they're like, well, oh, there's, you know, this is way in the future. It's not so much now, but, right. but it certainly was, you know, back then. Yeah. Which, you know, when I say that I'm not typically a sci-fi fan, but I'll be curious to see because your next series is a lot more, you know, magic based yeah. and things like that. But I'm for sure going to read it because I'm a Matt Calhoun fan now. Uh, well, but you. I'm I'm curious to find out because, yes, this was kind of more based in realism. But at the same time, though, the re like you built the world, right? right? Even though it was a world that is eerily reminiscent to our own, you still built the world. Like I felt like I understood UIG. I was a part of that. Right. So who knows? I might get into this woodland fairy magic stuff and be like, <laughs> you know what? Maybe I am a sci sci-fi fan because I think that's what it's all about is world building, yeah. right? You have to be able to construct the space in which these characters live and have it all make sense together. Right. And something that I, I thought was really cool, you know, you were talking about like flying cars or, or, you know, whatever, just all these things that we don't know about. I thought it was cool. And I'm going to try to say this in a way that doesn't spoil, but there's, there's a part in part two where they're trying to like escape, like get away from something. And what I thought was interesting is that the way that they got away was it wasn't like, let's pull out our jetpacks that we didn't tell you we had, but because we live in a futuristic world, we have them. So yeah. we can totally do that. But it was like here, you know, what's keeping us in is a technology that you already know about. 
And the way we're going to get out is in a way that makes sense to fight that technology. And I know that doesn't make sense to people who haven't read it. I'm wondering if you can tell which part I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know exactly which part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I just thought that was really cool that it never – it always stays within the realm of what my brain goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. If I was in that situation, I see how that would work as opposed to where you can sometimes tell when an author goes – ah, I've got them stuck in a position and I don't know how to get them out, so let's just make something up yeah. and have it work. And I never felt that in your book, which I thought was was really cool. So, okay, you were telling me, let's let's move on because I get stuck in talking about the story <laughs> itself, but you just released within what, like the last month, I believe, the audiobook came out, is that yeah. right? Now, I've been working on it for, so me and the narrator um, kind of started the process. I think it was, you know, really kind of early in the year. Yeah. Started auditions and all that stuff. So, okay, the audiobook just got released, and your narrator is Brian Applegate. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. Tell us a little bit about him and about the process of working on the audiobook. Yeah, so um, I, I got really lucky because I, I, I did the audiobook through uh, ACX, which is a Amazon company, basically marketplace for you know matching authors and, and narrators together. And uh, so I opened the book for audition. I was like, you know, not really sure what to expect. Uh, and I, I got some good auditions, but... When I I was just kind of waiting, and I, I remember I was talking with my wife about you know uh, how should you know should I make a decision, and she, she was like yeah just you know keep it open and yeah. you know let let's just see what comes out. And when I heard Brian's audition, I was like, okay, that's it for me. Uh, and I and I I showed it to I, I let Kara listen to the audition, and she's like, oh yeah, you've got you should you should go. And uh, so I immediately you know we started chatting and just kind of emailing back and forth. And it was also really cool, um, you know, his process. And, and I had no idea what to expect because I'm, you know, first-time author, first-time working on an audio book. He, he asked me, you know, hey, who's, you know, how should I pronounce things, which, you know, that makes sense. But then for all the characters, you know, who would you cast them as if you made a movie? Which I'm, I'm, you know, really into movies, and I've always kind of enjoyed that. So that was a lot of fun for me. But I also kind of agonized over it for a bit before I sent it to him. But but he did a really great job um, narrating, and then also the characterization stuff. Um, that where it's just it even some things where I didn't I didn't give him input, but just what he did was it was it was awesome. Uh, what he did with like the robot voices and stuff like that is one of my favorite things. Oh, I didn't even think about the robot voices. Oh. Yeah. And I didn't tell him, and I and I, and I, I was a little bit worried too, because I'm like, I don't want it to sound like like a you know cheesy yeah robot, and and he just did something that was like completely not what I was expecting, but it was just awesome. Oh, I can't wait to hear it because yeah. you're that's that would be a hard one to get right. Yes, wow. and he also there. It's not like one robot voice. There they depending on the situation and like the application, they have different kind of personalities almost, which is cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, that is cool. Yeah. So can you tell us then, since since Brian asked you the question and you've agonized over it, who, yeah. who would you cast okay. celebrity-wise? Who are Who is your Liam? Who is your Natalie? Yeah. Um, there was lots of, you know, in some sense, I, I thought about, well, like, okay, sound and personality versus, like, how they look. So just, like, kind right. of keep that in mind. But, um, and, and Kara and I, my wife, we fought the most over because I I kind of bounced things off of her. We Liam was who we fought the most over. Oh, um, but but we eventually I think it was like a progression of me 
kind of changing what I wanted because uh, she was like, no, that's not, no, that's not good. Uh, but I landed on Jake Gyllenhaal for Liam. Okay. Like probably younger that. Jake yeah. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I can see that. Who else was, was up in the air for, like, who were you guys thinking about? Uh, so Do you remember? I had, I, I had early on, I think I said like Andrew Garfield or like, oh. I can't remember his name, but he's, um, have you seen like the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man? He's like the yeah. Green Goblin. Oh, I yeah. liked. Oh, I can't remember his name, yeah, but I, I, I liked too. that guy. But Kara's like, nah, I don't think so. And I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal and Andrew Garfield. I can see both. Like I could see both of them. Yeah, for sure. Okay, what about Natalie? So Natalie, uh, I we ended up and and we pretty much agreed on this pretty quickly. Natalie Portman was kind of. Yeah, yeah, she really does. Yeah. Did you? Did you think about that at all when you were naming Natalie? Or did no, that, is that just no, total not coincidence? No, Because really, now that you say that, that's actually, it feels like a really perfect fit. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, who do we have left? Um, oh, so so um, I like talking about, uh, so Bill Wallace, who's the, who's the COO of UIG, and we've talked a lot uh-huh. about him. Uh, Walt Goggins. Oh, I don't know who that he is. Did, he's like, he does a lot of, um, did you see Justified, the show? No. Okay, so he's kind of like the, he's kind of like Googling the villain. Right and um, he, I'm trying to think of, he was in uh, some Marvel movies. He's been in a whole bunch of stuff. He's like, he's always like a, he's kind of like a country guy, but very like refined. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, I know his face. Okay. Yes. I don't know that I've seen a lot of the, of his movies, but I definitely know his face. So, oh, as Bill Wallace. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and mainly like his his kind of mannerisms and voice. I last couple of questions. You came into this. Yes, you had done some creative work. You kind of had a knowledge of sort of the creative industry. But at the same time, you were were slash still are working a full time job, a business job, and also being a dad and also being a husband. How did you find the time? And also, how did you figure out all of this stuff about self publishing and getting an audiobook narrator? And how did you do all of that? Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, balancing act for sure. But uh, I would say I got a lot more disciplined. You kind of find time, and that was that was my thing. Is once I kind of got in the groove of here's the outline, and I kind of sit down and I know what I'm going to do, and then I, you know, I think I'd, I'd heard somebody say like, you know, just sit down and write your draft and be okay with it. You know, not being exactly, you know, don't go back and you know edit this word, just write it. Just get it out, basically. Yeah. And so I kind of got in that mantra of I'm just, I'm going to get this draft out. And I did. And I I knew, so I kind of set up times where it was like, you know, 30 minutes a day. And I got kind of into a rhythm of, you know, you you get out 500 words or something like that in 30 minutes. Well, that adds up over time. And, you know, eventually you got a book. Self-publishing side, uh, it looks like I kind of knew what I was doing, but there's a lot of learning and figuring out, and it's still <laughs> happening. You know, that's the double-edged sword. I mean, you, when you're when you're independent, published, you have complete control over what you're putting out there. That can be good and bad. I mean, I, I certainly got a lot of feedback from people as I was working on it. But you know, you make mistakes. Right, um, sure. I'm sure I've made some. I'm sure I'll make make some more. But. I, you know, I heard a lot of people talk about getting it out there, getting feedback, learning, developing your voice, and I've just been kind of focused on that. And so it's like that book and that those characters are great, and I'm got them out, and you know, moving on to the next thing. And that's that's been a lot of it. Just you know, keep keep moving and keep writing the next thing. Yeah. 
So as you've been doing all of this, uh, you know, we've mentioned Kara, your wife's role in it a little bit as a support. Um, but I know like the acknowledgements page has a whole list of people. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the support around you as you've been pursuing your dreams of being an author. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> well, a lot of people read it and, you know, gave feedback, you know, or proofread or uh, helped with editing. Um, and that has been incredibly important. Uh, that was really helpful to kind of get feedback. And, you know, the way I went about it is, okay, if one person, you know, says this, I'll think about it. But if I hear like all of them are saying, hey, you should really think about this or eh, that doesn't really make sense, then I really need to go think, go address it. Um, so that that was really helpful. And So did you have uh, a formal editor? I, I don't really know how this works. Do you have like somebody who's considered the editor or is it just kind of you've passed it on to several people or what's the process there? Yeah. So um, I worked with, I did kind of the beta round. I did an editor um, and then, you know, I did proof basically. Okay. So, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, some people will do like a development edit at the beginning, which is more focused on the story. Gotcha. And I just, I kind of relied on, you know, beta read feed, feedback okay. for that. So it's kind of a back and forth. Yeah. Now that the book is published, it's out there, you can't really change it. Right. Is there anything that you wish that you would have changed if you could? That's a good question. You know, I have kind of looked at it like uh, it's an iterative process and, you know, I got it out there. I'm happy with how it turned out. Whatever I change, I'd kind of incorporate into the next thing. Gotcha. You know, it's like yeah. that's that's there. I kind of I got it out and I'm just learning and moving it, go, you know, incorporating it going forward. So I know the next the book you're working on now is meant to be a series. Would you ever consider a sequel to The Knowledge of Sin? Yeah, I've I've thought about it, and it's it's certainly you know you could, the story goes there where it could. It leaves a yeah. There's there's a moment where it does. It's not full closure for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, right now it's I, I'm thinking about it as a standalone. But I've I've left it open where I could go. I could either kind of continue the story in that universe, or kind of go at, spend more time with other characters that were kind of. You know, their their story wasn't fully explored or, mm -hmm. you know, like what happened to the, these people that really weren't central to the book, but in the book's events, you know. So I've thought about that, but I haven't, I haven't, you know, I'm not set on it yet. Yeah. You know who I am curious about? And maybe this is one of the side characters you were talking about is April. She came oh, in for yeah. like a second and had a moment and then. We don't hear from her again. And, yeah. and part of me, which I knew, I mean, she's a side character. It, it didn't feel like a like a hole or a gap. But a part of me was like, whatever happened to April? Like, what's her story? Yeah. I was just very, because for a second, I thought you were introducing her as a secondary, like, love interest. And I was kind of like, mm, I don't know that I like this. Yeah. And so I was kind of happy when that didn't necessarily yeah. go that route. Uh, but I was kind of curious about her. So I do, I do appreciate, I feel like, you know, we say it doesn't end with a ton of closure, but it also doesn't end like a major cliffhanger, like right. when a you know TV show gets canceled and you can tell they meant for there to be another season. There is closure where it could be standalone, but there's enough where I thought, oh, I would love to hear what happens next after that. Yeah. That was what I was, that, you know, I, 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 I can't say I set out to do that, but I do like that. Yeah. Um, is that, yeah, it can stand alone, but if I wanted to revisit it, I could. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thanks Is there for anything me. else? I mean, I've asked you a lot of questions here. Is there anything else you'd like to share or mention with the time that we have together today? Sure, yeah. Um, if people are looking for how to find me, uh, mattcalhounauthor.com 
You can uh, find my books on Amazon uh, under Matt Calhoun. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Instagram. Also for my website, you can get to all those things. Um, and then Goodreads. Perfect. And we'll put links to all of those in the show notes awesome. so people can kind of just click through there. Fantastic. Um, and yes, if you are listening, please do read the book because I really do want to do a follow-up episode where we can just talk all the spoilers and get into all the like, maybe we can even, oh, you know it would be fun? Have people who've read it call in or leave voice messages about their thoughts on some of the characters. I love that characters. idea. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's cool. I hadn't <gasps> even considered it, but I'm, I'm in. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so if you're listening, you have to read it and then get in touch with me and we'll make this happen because that would be my favorite episode in the whole entire world. I'm, I'm down. Thank Let's you do so it. much, Matt. Yeah, Appreciate thank you. you. Thank you for having me, Jessica. Okay, guys, I am not kidding about this follow-up episode. We have to make this happen. So here is my ask for this episode. First of all, if you haven't yet, go read The Knowledge of Sin. I have the links to uh, Amazon as well as Goodreads and Matt's website and Instagram and Facebook, all of that in the show notes. So go and get yourself a copy of the book, read it. And then once you finish reading it, send me either an email or a voice message and tell me what you thought about the book. Um, tell me, you know, what questions that you have, what characters were your favorite? Did you have any specific thoughts about the plot or the characters, etc. Whatever that you want to say or additional information that you would like to know. So then what I'll do is I will collect all of that feedback and Matt and I can build a follow-up episode based on that. And I think that would be so cool, especially if you send a voice message using my uh, SpeakPipe software that is linked in the show notes, then we can actually put your question or your comment um, on the episode live as well. So please do that. I think that would be so much fun. Thank you again to Matt for joining us today. Of course, thanks to all of you for listening. And I will see you all next week on Create Space. Create Space.